about this. This is, this is happening now. Um, we were given um, final approval for our building permit. And so we, we are now moving forward. We, we're, we're finishing everything with the uh, bank right now. And uh, that, that means an appraisal. That really, the only thing that's left is appraisal for everything because they've got everything else. And uh, that'll take a, a few more weeks, it looks like, maybe a couple more weeks or more. And so we're trying to get that done as quick as we can, and then we're digging. And so we, once, once we get ready to do that, we're going to have like uh, something that Sunday afternoon, the week that we start digging, we'll have some kind of um, um, potluck or do something like that, uh, just because why not, right? Why just cook things? So, so we'll let you know. We'll, we'll do the shovel in the ground. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a fun time. Um, but here's, here's what's happened. We've got two phases now. Instead of just doing the whole project, um, we're, we're doing two phases, partly because of, of building cost um, have just gone crazy. And then also now we're getting, it's winter time headed up. By the time we get to that point, it will be. And uh, so we're going to do phase one, which is all the civil stuff, water, sewer, the, the, some of the drainage stuff, infrastructure, some of the things that the city is making us do from moving from county to city and then starting the building stuff. So we have to do all that. It's about a half a million dollars to do all that. We're going to roll what we owe, which is $260,000, into that, and we'll get a loan for all of that, and, um, and we'll start working on that literally immediately. As soon as we get, as soon as we get the, um, the loan approval from the bank and, the, and that starts and they basically open that construction loan for us, then we're going to start all that. And uh, so here's, the, here's what we need. We need, if you're giving monthly, we want you to continue to do that. And if you're not and you're thinking about it, please consider doing that. You know I'm not going to push that and, and beat us with that and do a hard sell. That's not, that's not who I am. I don't, I don't like that myself. And uh, so just think about that, pray about that. If you want to contribute monthly, do that. We are going to be needing, to, from between now and February, March-ish of this next spring, we're going to need more um, chunks of money uh, rather than the monthly, although the monthly will obviously pay it out over time, but um, because we're going to try to get, when we finish all this, whatever we owe at that point, we're going to try to pay that down as much as possible before March is when we come back and get ready to build the larger, uh, all the actual building stuff and go out this direction and all that. And so, so also be praying for that, that, that building cost will go down. I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know exactly how that works when you're praying for something like that. Does God just do that for us or does he do that for all building everywhere? I don't know, but I really need him to do it for just us. And so be praying that. Um, also, God's big. He can, when, when we say something like that, God can do that a thousand different ways. And so just, just be praying about that too. And then uh, consider giving. And then the third part of that is um, that we're going to be having some teams of people do some stuff to, to set off the cost a little bit. And uh, some, of the, some of the things that we can do around here ourselves with uh, tractors and shovels and I don't know what else. So we'll let you know when it comes time. And I know that some of you are, are actually excited about that. Um, and some of you are not. But uh, that, that's, we'll let you know. We'll let you know when the teams, when we're ready to do that. And it'll be on, you know, different days, probably weekends, Saturdays and those kind of things. And, and we probably won't have you out there digging on Sunday. It looks bad. But, um, <laughs> but, but we'll, we'll, figure, we'll figure something else out with that. Um, so I, I did get some questions about the, the bike, the bike for the light that I'm doing. Um, I have not done it yet. 
Some of you were wondering, concerned, because I did go ride. Uh, Thursday, I rode a 100-mile ride to get ready for the bike ride, and Linda put it on, on Facebook and did some things like that. And so, so I was getting texts and calls. Well, did, did you already ride? I didn't know if you had ridden yet. Well, I did ride 100 miles Thursday, so let's give me credit for that. But that's not the official ride that I'm doing, but that starts September 6th, and it'll go from September 6th through the 10th. It's 100 miles a day for five days, and we're doing this for missions. In fact, I'm talking to the youth group about this tonight and, and uh, showing them some things. And, and, uh, and so, yes, you, you can. I haven't really been pushing that a lot when it comes to, the, to that missional side of it, the giving side. Um, this is, Speed the Light is youth giving, is teenage giving. And, um, and, and my goal is for every person in the church to give. And so I don't, sometimes if I get up and say, okay, I'm going to do this, and if you give to that, then you, you might give the money that you're normally giving to a missionary and give it to that. I don't want you to do that. Give that money to the missionary. Um, but if you haven't given anything to missions and you want to, this would be a good opportunity. Same thing with, um, with the uh, Buddy Barrels, the uh, Boys and Girls Missions Giving, which, we, which Krista, Pastor Krista talked about about a month ago. We just want you to be involved in missions. We want every single person at Church of Burrogate involved in missions. You say, well, I don't really have extra. If you give a dollar a month and you're involved, that's better than not. And then the more people that we get involved in missions, there's a spiritual dynamic that happens there that God honors that. He blesses that. And we want you to be blessed from it. We also want missionaries to be blessed from this. Okay, so just think about that. Be, be involved in missions. You need to be involved in missions. That's, that's what the point of that is. And so I have not done that ride yet. That'll be starting Labor Day. Um, I, I did learn something on the, uh, the ride Thursday. I mean, I've, I've ridden rides like this before. I've ridden over 100 miles different times before. But I was reminded Thursday that I'm 51. <laughs> that came to my head about 51 times um, through that. But, uh, but no, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a good ride. It's a fun ride. I, I did want to introduce you to somebody. His name is Mohammed Faridi. Uh, Mohammed is Iranian, and um, he, is, he and I have been talking about this. Uh, we, he, they came to the church this week, and we, we looked around at the facilities. Um, he, is, uh, he started an, a, an Iranian church here, a Christian. <laughs> I did have somebody after first service say, so this is Christian. Yes, it's Christian. We're not starting Muslim churches out of Briargate. <clears throat> okay. But this is, uh, he's, he's a Christian man that's starting, he started an Iranian church a while back and he's been doing this in his house and he needs to get it out of his house and get into a location. Um, they've grown a little bit and he's expecting some more growth. Um, did, did you know that, I think, I know I've mentioned this, but the Iranian church right now, the Iranian Christian church is the fastest growing church in the world right now. They are, they are so disenfranchised and so disheartened by Islam and the horrors and the evil of Islam and the control of Islam, the demonic of Islam, that, that they're rushing to Jesus. And Jesus is also revealing himself to many people in dreams and visions and things like that. And it's, it's just exciting. I love that. And, and um, and uh, so, I, so they're wanting to use our location. We've been talking with them about this. Probably in the next few weeks, we're going to be able to, to fix this and, and figure out exactly um, how that they can be here. You know, the more of these groups that we, the more of these churches that we have, the more difficult it becomes, specifically in this facility. Um, but but we're, we're, we, have a, we have a building permit now. So, um, but, but it's exciting. It's exciting to, to talk with him. Um, we're still talking to 
the uh, Afghan, Afghanistan group about having the Afghanistan church here too. And I did talk to, they're both named Muhammad, <laughs> both of the different, okay. But uh, I, I did talk to Muhammad, this Muhammad about the other Muhammad in the Afghan church. And he said, because I don't know if you know this, but Iran and Afghanistan don't get along um, at all. Uh, and so he said, no, it's, he said, it's the other way around. He said, many, many Afghanis get saved because an Iranian witnesses to them. When an Iranian can love on an Afghanistan, male, female, child, whatever, it so changes their heart that they're extremely receptive to the gospel. And he said, and that's where just a lot of Afghanis get saved. And so um, it's exciting. I'm, I'm liking this. This is my goal. Wouldn't you like to have, I don't know, 50 different language group churches out of church at Briargate? Wouldn't that be cool? I just, to me, that's, that's what, it, that's what it's supposed to be about. And so I'll have him here in the next, in the next few weeks. He, he's going to come and be part of our services so you can meet him, talk to him, all of that kind of stuff. And, and I, am, I, do, I do have a rule that I make with all these churches that are coming in here. Because our bylaws actually say this, that our bylaws say that as the pastor, I am like the ad hoc leader of every ministry or group that, that um, is based in our church or out of our church. And so I explained to them that anytime they're having food, that they need to invite me. <laughs> and, um, and I will come to that. And he did say, well, we start with tea, then we have service, and then we finish with tea. I'm like, I like tea. I like tea. The, the, Sam Castillo is Cuban, uh, the, the Latin pastor, and he brought me Cuban coffee one time. I, no, it's good. It's good. You're wired for like seven days, but it's good. It's good. So, so be, be praying about this. Be praying about all the, the, the inclusion of all of this kind of stuff. Also be praying that the Russians have better food. Um, when they invite, I'm like, eh. But uh, Latin church, very solid. Um, we're hoping that the, uh, that, that the Farsi church will be much better. So um, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I, I'm excited about this. I've been... I've been looking to this. I preach about this every single time this time of the year. The only thing is this one kind of snuck up on me. Um, about a month or two ago, we were sitting at, a, at the journey, I think, and um, I think Darla said something about, well, um, Feast of Trumpets is much early this year. And it kind of caught me off guard because I just kind of knew when it was going to be, and I wasn't really looking at this. And then I realized it, it is way early. This is a whole month earlier than it normally is this year. And you say, what does that matter? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going we're gonna to look at this this morning. I wanna, this, is, this is about um, end time stuff, and this is about the rapture, and it's uh, about the church and the, the, what is going to happen to us as the church and some things like that. But there, there's some, there's some uh, scary stuff that we're going to read about this morning. But I really don't think, if you look at it right, I don't think this is a scary thing. Okay, I, I really don't. The, the fact, I, I said this earlier when we were getting ready to pray. God said he's the I am. Think about, think about God um, predicting, prophesying. It's not even predicting. That's not the right word to use. Because he's the one who makes it happen. He doesn't predict it. He does it. And God tells us what he's going to do. And you think about God being able to tell us everything. Even just the birth of Jesus Christ. And all of the... The, the prophecies about that that are extremely detailed in Scripture. Where he's going to come from, what city, where he's going to be born, what city he's going to raise, raise up in, which is different, all these different things, right? 
God says all this kind of stuff. And then he also tells us all the things he's going to do when it comes to end time events. And to me, this isn't a scary thing because that means he's in charge of it all. He's in control of everything. There's no, there's no part of this where God's saying, well, I, I didn't see that coming. Right? So, so I think there has to be so part of our, part of when we're going into to looking at some of this kind of stuff, there should be a confidence that builds in us that says that God is, he's, he's doing all this. He's in charge of it. He's setting the stage. He's the one guiding all of the details of this. And so I, I, to me, it's encouraging. There's some, there's some, there's some difficulties, there's some scary stuff. I get that. But really in the big picture, it should be an encouraging thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, this is about the rapture, okay? Uh, I, again, I'm a pre-tribulation rapture person. I know that some of you are, are not. Um, I am strongly pre-tribulation. In other words, I believe the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation, right? The tribulation starts with the signing of the peace treaty by the Antichrist, and Israel. The Antichrist facilitates this, brings everybody to the table. Israel, and the way Scripture says it, the rest of the world brings them all to the table and they sign a peace treaty together. Which, which just let me throw this out here. Um, Israel announced the other day that, and Iran announced the same thing. Iran is within two to three months of having a nuclear weapon. Do you realize how scary that is? I remember when I was a kid, we were worried about that. Now they're two or three months, and Israel basically said, this is not what they said, but this is what they said. They said, we know that Iran is two to three months from having a nuclear weapon. We got this. That's basically what they said. <laughs> Israel, Israel is not scared of Iran getting a, a nuclear weapon. They're not. Right? Because have you ever noticed that every time a, a centrifuge or a, some kind of nuclear facility or something gets really close to developing a nuclear weapon, something crazy goes on and the whole thing melts down? Do you think that's coincidence? No, that's called Israeli secret forces. And they're the best in the world. And the biggest reason is because they don't play. We've, we've got to the point in our military in America where we kind of play. Where you're not, engagement rules, you can't, you can't even chamber around until you're fired at? I, man, what? It, okay, so that's not what this is about. <clears throat> So this is, about, this is about the rapture. I believe the rapture takes place before the tribulation. I strongly believe that. I'm going to show you some scriptures. I'm going to explain that just a little bit this morning, why I believe that it happens before. But again, this is not a joke. I know it sounds funny. This is not a joke, but I do strongly believe this. This is end-time event. This stuff has not happened yet. And so I can, I can look in scripture and I can come up with a pretty good idea of what I believe is truth, but then I have to be open to this being different than what I believe because it has not happened yet. And here's a thing you not need to process. If the rapture is not going to happen for another thousand years, I also don't believe that's the possibility. But if it's not going to happen for another thousand years, there's going to be so many different things that we're seeing and processing that it'll look so much different then that, that we might even change our thinking on some of this. Okay? But I, I strongly believe in pre-tribulation until the peace treaty is signed between the Antichrist and Israel. And then I become very strong mid-tribber on the, on the rapture, right? How many is with me? Right. It's kind of stupid to hang on to pre-trib once the tribulation starts. I'm going to be strong. I mean, I got so much proof. I've already got stuff together. I've already got scriptures together for that in case that happens. I can be a mid-tribber. I have no problem with that. All right. 
Now, I do believe that post-tribulation is the least one that is matched up in Scripture, and, and I'll explain this in a second. I believe what they do is they get confused between the second coming and the rapture, okay? But at three and a half years plus one day, I am all in with post-tribulation rapture, <laughs> right? You won't have to convince me. I'll be convincing you, right? I don't have as many Scriptures on that one. I'll have to figure those out when they get there, but... So I'm going with this from the point of view that I believe the rapture happened sometime before the signing of the peace treaty or the beginning of the tribulation. We know the tribulation is seven years. That throws some people off when it comes to mid or, or pre because they think it's, the, they, they call it pre, but it's really mid because they haven't counted days. Okay. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. This is Paul saying this, and I love the fact that he says it that way. Let me tell you a great secret, an amazing secret. That, that's one of the ways that I, I, I'll use a sentence like that sometimes when I'm talking to somebody about Jesus and trying to introduce them to Jesus when they don't have any background of church or whatever. Because think about some of this. I, I, was, I was looking at um, uh, Muhammad Faridi's testimony um, this last week and, and some of the things that, that when he first realized that Jesus loved him and gave his life for him instead of him giving his life like to um, Muhammad or to Islam, it was this groundbreaking moment. We have got more and more people you're going to come across every day that have no idea who Jesus is. Right here in America, have no idea who Jesus is. And you can reveal an amazing secret to them. His love, his forgiveness, his grace, all these different things. Let, let the Holy Spirit lead you to reveal the amazing secret. And so he says, here's this wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will be all transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, and we're going to get to the trumpet in a moment, that's important. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And all who are living will also be transformed. So we're getting new bodies. We're getting transformed, the, the dead. And, and I, do think, I, 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 I do think it's kind of cool that the dead go first. I, I'll explain that in a second. But... For he says, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Now again, remember Genesis 1, 2, 3 is the bookend. Uh, Revelation is the other bookend. And there are scatterings of stuff that are, that are prophetic and eschatological through that that leads us to, um, the, to this other bookend. But it's always reaching back from Genesis 1, 2, 3 and grabbing from there as it's pushing forward. And the bookends is God's plan. Everything between Genesis 3 and the end of Revelation is the redemption story of how God is trying to buy us back with the blood of Jesus Christ to have a relationship with him so that we can be made right with God and get back to what God had originally intended. What God had intended was the garden. That's the way God had designed it. And he designed us to live forever. That's why he kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden. He didn't kick them out of the garden. It doesn't say he kicked them out of the garden because they sinned. Although that's what started the, the, the uh, avalanche. But he said he, 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 they had to leave the garden and they couldn't come back in. And he puts an angel in, uh, over in, in front of the garden so they couldn't get back in because there's the tree of life in the garden. They had been eating of the tree of life. They were going to live forever. They were already living forever. God had designed their bodies to live forever. But now sin brought death, disease, decay, brokenness, all these other things to the human body. So now the human body does not have the, the fortitude to live forever. But with the tree, with the, the fruit from the tree of life, it would not die. 
It would continue to live, although it is dying. And so God said, we can't have you eaten of the fruit. Then it's like um, night of the living dead. and Nobody wants that. And so God said, you've got to go because you can't eat of this fruit anymore, right? Now look at this. He says, for our dying bodies, this body is corrupt, broken, dying. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. What is the word that, that Jesus uses is redeemed, right? I get a body again that was designed the way God had created it in the first place. I get an Adam and Eve kind of body, you know, absent a belly button. It's that kind of body. And so someday I get to step into this immortal body because why? God had intended me, you, to live forever. But we are trapped inside of bodies that are dying. So he has to give us a body that will not die. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies, our physical bodies, must be transformed into immortal bodies. Isn't that cool? That's the way God designed it. That's what Adam and Eve had. And that's what he's going to, that's the bookends mentality, okay? All right, so he says that we're going to be, the, the last trumpet's going to be blown. There's actually trumpets to blow. When the last one blows, everybody that is dead is taken and those that are alive uh, shortly thereafter. Okay, so let's look in 1 Thessalonians 4, description of the same thing. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven in a commanding shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. That, 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 that trumpet call is so important. The description of it and everything is so important. Okay? First, the believers who have died will rise from the graves. Now, I believe this is a very visual, physical thing that God does, partly because God likes to do those kind of things. And God likes, um, he likes the surprise of stuff, which, by the way, uh, millions upon millions, hundreds of millions, I don't know how many, graves bust open at the same time, and, and these dead bodies, which are basically skeletons, right? They all bust open and this stuff takes off for heaven. That'll get some of the people's attention. It's what it says, that these graves will, will that, that, that the dead will, will, will rise from the actual grave. And the people that are still alive on the earth, which I believe is this generation now, Okay. I got asked this a while back. I don't remember it was either at a Wednesday night or it was at the journey or something. But somebody said, okay, can you put a timeline to this? I can put a little bit of a timeline to it. I can get us close. Because here's what Scripture tells us. That the generation of Israel becoming a nation. 1948 is when Israel became a nation. The generation... Now, now this is where people have gotten confused about it. It says the generation... Uh, won't pass away or won't die. So, so we say, well, that's a 40-year time frame. Because I remember in 1988, I've said this before, I was a senior in high school in 1988, and that dude wrote the book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. He really messed up my senior year a lot with that. <laughs> because I had been praying, God, please don't come back until I get married. You know what I mean, God? <laughs> and so, so... How many of you are with me? Can I get an amen? I know. I know. Okay. And so <laughs> let's move on. But that's because they confused with this generation will not pass away with a generation. 
And, and Scripture usually shows us a generation is 40 years. But, but what this is, is that generation will not pass away. Well, how long does Scripture say a, a generation from birth to death is? 70 to 80 years. Remember after Noah's Ark, it was 120 years? And we're still dying and decaying and dying, so God had to stop it. it we're, we're still dying. So he stopped it at 70 to 80 years. And he says, the time for human beings is 70 to 80 years. So that's the window. From 1948, you take 70 to 80 years, and that's your 10-year window of Jesus coming back, I believe. Okay? We are in year 73. Right? So this is Revelation. You're like, what? You know? <laughs> okay, so here, here's the reality of this. Guys, that does give us a timeline. It's not the day or the hour, and I'll explain that in a second. But it gives us the time, it gives us this window that I believe we're in the time frame when Jesus is coming back to get his people. Okay, unless we totally misunderstand somehow in scripture the, the Israel becoming a nation, unless we totally misunderstand that. And I've said, I've heard some people talk about the 1967 um, the, or the Seven Day War and these other dates. I don't believe that. I believe that scripture says that when God brings his people back and, and they become a people again, a nation again, okay? So with that, he says, that, that the believers will rise from the grave, and then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. They go first, and then those living go immediately after. And it's going to be in a split second, blink of an eye, but God says specifically the graves are going to open first. And I believe that people all over the planet are going to see graves open and people gone, or bodies, not people, but bodies Gone. Their, their soul is already with Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that. When you, when you step out of this life, you step into the presence of Jesus Christ. But their physical bodies are still here and however messed up or broken or whatever the case is. And God's going to bring them and then those that are living immediately thereafter. Okay. Then he says that um, then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, this is one of those pre-tribulation scriptures that I think is pretty important for us, okay? Um, this is where, if you get confused with the second coming, this, this is why. Some people think it's a post-tribulation thing, and I believe the mid-tribulation people are just confused because it's, it's, it's um, the, the tribulation, and then the second half is called the great tribulation. It talks about the day of wrath, great tribulation, and that the, the rapture is going to happen before the day of wrath or whatever. So they say, well, that just includes the great tribulation. Except the whole seven years is called the tribulation in Scripture over and over and over. So if you're a mid-tribber, just back up a little bit. You, you're close. But, but here's the thing. Post-tribulation doesn't have legitimacy to me because I think what they're doing is they're confused. Scripture says that the second coming of Jesus Christ, Jesus comes and he does like a, a Marvel Comics thing. He's lands down on the earth. You know, usually they put their fist down when they land. I'm not sure why. I guess because Superman's going to fall over on his head. I don't know why. But they lands down when, when, when Jesus comes and lands on the ground, hits the ground with his feet. He hits with such uh, uh, force that it splits the ground, cuts the mountain in half, splits the mountain in half, and a river that's going one direction begins to flow the other direction. Okay? Now look at this again that we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Jesus isn't landing on the earth in this moment. He does later, I believe seven years later. But he's not landing on the ground on this. And we're going up to meet him in the air, which is what the angel said when Jesus was ascending into heaven at, in Luke 24, Acts 1, those two overlay, 
when, when he said that, the, the, Jesus begins to ascend up into the clouds, and it doesn't say he disappears, it says he ascends. In other words, I, I believe that Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, they like the dramatic. They're always, they like that. They do that all through Scripture, right? When you part the, the sea and you walk across on dry ground, that's dramatic. God likes that kind of stuff. God likes to show off, if you want to say it that way. So Jesus is slowly ascending because he can and you can't. And so he's doing that. And the, the angels, the, they asked the angels and the angels said, just like you see him leaving now, you will, see, you will be reunited, reunited with him again in this same kind of fashion, kind of mentality, right? So this is what we're reading here is that we go up into the clouds where Jesus is and we meet Jesus in the clouds, not on the ground at the second coming, we meet him in the crowd, in the clouds, and I believe this is before the, the, the day of wrath. I'm not going over all those scriptures, but I believe this is before, okay? Then we will be with the Lord forever, and here's verse 18. This is so important, so let's encourage each other with these words. This is not discouraging. This is encouraging. The king has, has personally come to get you. That's, that's pretty encouraging. The groom has come to personally get you as the bride. That's why you've got to be ready, waiting with your, with your lamp, waiting, the oil of the Holy Spirit in your existence, in your life, the wick trimmed, ready, and looking forward to the Lord coming. Because He's the groom, and you're the bride. And we're waiting for Him. Okay? So now, let's go over this. I'm going to, I'm going to go through this kind of quickly, and then we're going to get to the, to the, to the rest. Um, so, so here's the thing that happens, and this is one of the this is one of the things that we're really missing a lot in Western Christianity. We don't have a lot of teaching and stuff about this. We're getting more, but when I was a kid, I never heard any, any of this kind of stuff um, in, in church. And I just think it was kind of, we've been so, you know, in Western society, we're so disconnected from, from Jewish society, we, don't, we're not, we didn't get a lot of this stuff, okay? But Jesus doesn't do things by accident or coincidence, okay? Again, God... God, um, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they all decided where Jesus was going to be born. And they, and they had prophets prophesy about this hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. They said where he was going to be born. What city? Right? But Jesus didn't live in that city. But that's okay. God can figure that out. Right? And then he said, we, we know where he's going to grow up. And he, he's even going to take a little detour through Africa for a few years. God, God has all of this stuff prophesied. None of it was just chance. And so God is orchestrating this entire thing. Well, then we come to um, Jesus on this earth, the miracles, all the stuff that he's doing. It's all prophesied about. Then we come to his death. And because it's this subject of death, we put it into a category that would say that, that, that maybe... Um, God wasn't totally in charge of all of that kind of stuff. So to guarantee that we knew exactly what was happening and how it was happening, God even sets the stage of when, where, how, everything about Jesus' death, including a little detail, wasn't a little detail to Jesus, but a little detail of his, his, his they came to break his legs because that's how they, you would suffocate quicker if you're dying on the cross. But but God said not, not one bone in his body is going to be broken. Which would have been a normal tradition. And that's what they were coming to do when that happened. All these different things, okay? So, what, what day that we call it Easter, 
But what day does Jesus die on? It's called Passover. This is a feast. There's three major feasts in Jewish tradition, and there's some minor feasts that are attached to them in coordination. I'm going to talk about the major feasts, and I'm going to look at the last one with some of the minor feasts attached. But three major feasts. The first one is Passover. They had been celebrating that for thousands of years as Jewish people, and that's when the, God rescued the Israelites from e- Egyptian slavery and bondage. And the way he does that is that through, the, through uh, Moses coming in, the ten plagues, all this stuff, the last plague, God says the firstborn male will die in every single household, Egyptian or Israelite. The firstborn male will die. The only way that you can stop this death from coming to your household is you take this lamb, you kill this lamb, you take the blood of this lamb, and you put it over your doorpost or over your household, and that protects you, and the firstborn does not die in your house. 3,500 years later, John the Baptist is... is, um, baptizing people in the Jordan, Jesus comes walking up and John the Baptist ties this together. And there was other things, but John the Baptist ties this together as succinctly as anybody in scripture. He looks at Jesus and he says, behold the lamb of God that's going to take away the sins of the world. He ties this whole thing together. Jesus is the lamb that his blood must be shed. And then we take that blood and we apply it to our life and that makes us right with God, saves us from the, the bondage and the, uh, the, the um, slavery of sin to Satan and gives us freedom in God. Okay? So, Jesus coincidentally died on that day. That's the way some people look at it. Well, that was a great coincidence that he died on Easter. No, he died on Passover. We call it Easter. It's Passover. And Jesus dies on Passover. Why? Because he is the fulfillment of that festival, of that feast, of that, um, that whole event. Well, why? Why was that event even there? I, I, I talked about this three or four months ago where God even prophesied to Abraham 400 years before Passover that Passover was going to happen and that's the, that's the bloodline that leads us to salvation. So Jesus fulfills. This is why they had been celebrating Passover for 4,000 years, 30, actually about 2,700 years. That's why they had been celebrating Passover for all this time frame, was to declare that Jesus Christ is coming and he is going to fulfill that. He is going to be the lamb and he's going to fulfill that feast. Okay, Jesus is on the, on the, the uh, earth 40 days after the cross, the resurrection. And then he tells them all, Go to Jerusalem and wait till you've been given power to, to preach the gospel. Right? He'd been telling them, go into the world, preach the gospel, go make disciples of, of the lost, all this other kind of stuff. And he'd been telling this over and over and over. And then he says, before you actually leave Jerusalem to go do what I asked you to do. And by the way, they didn't get that right. It took them to about Acts 8 to get it. But, but he said, go wait in Jerusalem until you've been given the power to do what I've asked you to do. Which is what? Look onto the field because they're white for harvest. Be fishers of men. Witness to people. That's the point. So he said, go receive power to accomplish this. So they go to Jerusalem and they're waiting in Jerusalem. And and as a kid, I remember this. I remember a sermon one time when they were talking because the pastor made a joke. This is Honda Accords were just now coming out. It was early 80s. Okay. And um, and, and he said in Acts chapter 2, King James, they were all in one accord. And he said, you know, the, the, the Honda joke. So now I'm listening. 
And, uh, and then he said, he said, what God was waiting for was for them to all get in unity in one accord. And that's a great pastoral sermon, specifically if you have division in the church and people are fighting. It's a great pastoral sermon, but theologically not very strong or accurate. In fact, it's kind of irresponsible theologically because God was not waiting for them to get in unity. And they were not waiting to get in unity. They knew what they were waiting on. God knew what they were waiting on because it had been prophesied for hundreds and hundreds of years. They were waiting on Pentecost, which is what? The, The festival of the harvest. It's the feast, <coughs> excuse me, when everybody would get together and they would celebrate the beginning of the harvest. You're going to go into the harvest. It starts the harvest. Go out and start picking vegetables. This is the beginning of this. And they had this every single year and they would bring um, uh, uh, stuff to the temple and celebrate this beginning of the harvest. And so the Holy Spirit is waiting, not for them to get in unity, but he's waiting for the day to start the harvest. And so the Holy Spirit is poured out into the life of the believer as an empowerment of that believer <clears throat> so that they can, Acts 1.8, receive power to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. They were waiting for day, the day of Pentecost or the festival or the feast of the harvest or the feast of Pentecost. Okay, That's the second major um, uh, festival or feast. Okay? Then we come to the third major festival or feast. And this festival is the Feast of Trumpets, or the Festival of Trumpets, or some other names, and I'll explain that in a second. But this is the Feast of Trumpets. Now, this usually happens end of September, early October every year. It starts this year, September 7th and 8th. There's another name for it on the Jewish calendar. The Jewish call it Rosh Hashanah. Okay? It starts 7th, 8th of September, and it goes for about a month. All right. There's some stuff involved with it, but it is, it is called the Feast of Trumpets or the Feast that Ends the Harvest. They blow the trumpets. Everybody comes in from the harvest. The harvest is over. There's no more harvesting to be done, and it's, and it's finalized. And then they have the Day of Atonement, 10 days after the beginning. They have the Day of Atonement. The trumpets are blown so that you have 10 days to repent and be atoned. It's also called the day of awe. And at the end of the 10 days, that you would now go into the tabernacle or you go into what's the, this is also called the festival shelters, booths, all this other kind of stuff. But now you go into the tabernacle on the 15th day and you have a celebration in the tabernacle that the, now the harvest is over and there's no more harvesting to be done. Okay? I can't imagine Jesus coming back any other time frame than the end of the harvest festival of the trumpets. Because why? We just read there that when that, 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 uh, the trumpets are blown and Jesus comes back and gets his church. What? Well, that's the point of the trumpets. It's been blown. They, every year for, for thousands of years they've been doing this celebration, they've been doing this feast, and they blow the trumpets, and everybody comes in with, at the end of the harvest. Now look at this in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 6. It says, Every year a man in Israel must celebrate these three festivals. The festival of unleavened bread, that's Passover, 
Remember, they had to make the bread the night before. They couldn't have it uh, leavened in or anything like that. Take the blood of the lamb. All this going. It's the festival of unleavened bread. That's Passover. The second festival is the festival of the harvest. That's Pentecost. The third festival is the festival of shelters or the, the festival of trumpets. When they come in from the harvest and they shelter. In fact, they actually hang outside the city a little bit as they're atoning and getting right to come into the city and into the tabernacle. Those three festivals, Festival of Unleavened Bread, Festival of Harvest, Festival of Shelters. He said, on these occasions, all men must appear before the Lord, your God, at the place he chooses. But they must not appear before the Lord without a gift for him. Ever thought about that? Passover, Pentecost, and Festival of Trumpets. What are the three gifts that we would bring to each of those festivals? The first one, the Festival of Passover, we bring ourselves in anticipation of the Messiah coming. We give him us, our soul, our existence, to be redeemed from slavery, to be redeemed from death of sin through Passover, through the blood of the lamb. And they would celebrate this and put the, the blood on the goat and all this other stuff. Okay, What's the next one? Festival of Pentecost or the festival of the beginning of the harvest. What, is, what, do, what would they do or what gift would they bring or what gift would we bring when it came to the festival of Pentecost? Well, the, 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 the disciples... The, the followers of Jesus, 120 or however many there were, they were filled with the Holy Spirit to do what? To go into the harvest field. You are now uh, going to be fishers of men. You're going to be doing. So what we give, the gift that I believe that we give for Pentecost is we give our, our, our ability, our action, our time, energy, resource. We give our life to do something. Don't be, don't be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Well, what's the greatest word commandment God ever gives to any of us? Witness. Go into the harvest field. So, so we bring ourselves to go into the harvest field. Then he blows a trumpet and he says, the harvest is now over. In their time, what would they bring from the harvest field? The harvest. That's the gift. In, in our understanding after the cross, what is our harvest that we're bringing? Souls. And we don't, this says pretty strong. You, you would not appear, you must not appear before the Lord without your gift, that you're carrying people with you in this thing. You're not carrying your life, your money, the things you own, all the stuff. You're carrying somebody else because you gave them the greatest gift they could ever have, which is Jesus Christ, his love and his grace and his forgiveness. You gave them that, and that becomes the harvest. Guys, this is the gift we've got to bring before Jesus Christ. We've got to do this. Now, again, as I said, this happens start September 7th, 8th of this year. You got one week. You got one week till the rapture. Do whatever you want. Now, somebody asks me, you know, every year I get the question, do you think the rapture is going to take place this year? Well, I've been thinking that since I was about seven or eight years old, and I started thinking about this stuff. Back when I was growing up, they preached about revelation and rapture and tribulation a whole lot more than churches preach about it today. We believe in keeping everybody a little scared, right? But here's the thing. I don't know whether Jesus is coming back this Rosh Hashanah. I just believe with everything in me, he's coming back during a Rosh Hashanah. I think he's coming back during the Feast of Trumpets. It's the only one that hasn't been fulfilled by him. The Day of Atonement, all the, all the things that go along with this. I believe that Jesus is coming back during Rosh Hashanah. 
Okay? Is it this year? I don't know. I try, and I hope you do too, I try to live every day like Jesus is coming back the next one. Because here's the thing, if you don't live every day like this could potentially be the last day on the earth, you're not, you're not really giving yourself to Jesus the way you want to. Now, I know that as human beings, that's almost an impossibility all the time. But I think it can be a lifestyle and a life mentality to say, Jesus, I'm ready. I was thinking about this this week with, you know, Gabriel picks up the horn and he blows the horn. And I'm thinking, what is that going to sound like when he actually blows <laughs> Got some of you. <laughs> I did, didn't I? I saw somebody be like, oh my goodness. <laughs> what I wanted to see is about having, oh Jesus, forgive me, because then we know. <clears throat> um, that, that is what's going to happen, is Gabriel's going to pick up the shofar, or the ram's horn, and he's going to begin to blow that. But somehow, and I don't understand this, because it's a spiritual thing, somehow all across the earth, it is heard. And I believe it will be physically heard across the entire earth. And then, boom, the dead in Christ are gone. Boom, the alive in Christ are gone. We're given those immortal bodies, and now we're stepping into the next stage of what God has for us. This is eternity and all this other stuff. Amazing things. So I want to, I want to, I was talking to my daughter about this this week. She called me and, and, um, and she asks me a lot more now because she's, she doesn't live here. She's living in Texas. But she asks me more often now, Dad, uh, what are you preaching about this week? Because um, I, I don't know if she, I think she's missing me. I don't know if she cares about the sermon. I don't know. I like to think she does. She, I, think, I like to think she listens to every message I ever preach because I'm the best pastor she's ever had. And so, but she asked me about it, and I, I was talking to her about it, and she said, yeah, Dad, but what about these scriptures? So let me read these scriptures to you, okay? This was already done. It was already prepared. But she asked the exact question that, that people ask. Mark chapter 13, verse 32. However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. And since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard, stay alert. The focus is be on guard, stay alert. Not, no one will know. That's not the focus. The focus is be on guard and stay alert. The, the no one will know the day or the hour lets you realize that God's not telling anybody. And if somebody says um, 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988, they might be wrong. Okay? But here's the next part of this. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus also says, he replied, you know the saying, red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow. Red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. Now look at this. He's not talking about sailing on the seas. He's talking about scripture. And he says, you know how to interpret the, sign, the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. He's trying to tell us, I've been telling you a lot of stuff, but you're not listening to it. You're not really paying attention. I was in the Navy back in the day, and <clears throat> when I first went in the Navy, I was a corpsman, and, um, a medic, and, uh, and Navy corpsmen, 90% of them hang out with Marines, 
and I didn't want to be a Marine, and so I, I changed my job at what's called rate. I changed it, and I became a quartermaster, which in the Navy is navigation. There's a lot of little things like this. This is actually one of the sayings that you say uh, when you're in, 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 in navigation. But there's a lot of little things like that. The, the uh, quartermaster is also the weather, weatherman for the ship. Okay? So my job was to pay attention to barometric pressure. Barometric pressure changes point zero, more than 0.05 in the space of an hour. You're in trouble. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to be seasick here fairly soon. And so you're paying attention to all this stuff. The way the clouds are, are moving, you have to know all this. You, you, you take all kinds of stuff about this, classes and things. So you know this. And here's the thing. And Jesus is saying, you can see all this stuff so naturally in your life. You see signs around you all the time. You can see the beginning of spring. You know the sign of the beginning of spring. Unless you live in Colorado, and then it, everything buds, and then it freezes, and it kills it all. But, but you know these things. You know these signs. But then he says, but you can't seem to interpret the signs of the times. He says, only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. That's a huge statement right there. Because what is the sign of the prophet Jonah? What's the story of Jonah? God says, Jonah, go tell Nineveh I'm going to destroy him. That's all he said. He didn't say unless they repent. He said, Jonah, go tell him I'm going to destroy him. Jonah, no, I'm not going to do it. And so he runs off and gets on the ship to Tarsus, all this other stuff. And then, and then he um, gets swallowed by a big fish. And, um, and, then, and, and by the way, I, I know Christians that don't believe this is a true story. I believe this is an exact true story. God's words are true. His stories are true. These aren't metaphors or makeup or whatever. So, so then the fish <clears throat> has... Now remember, Jonah's going the other direction, swallowed by a fish. But where does the fish puke him up? On the shores of Nineveh. That's why it took three days. I know there's a lot of analogy between three days and Jesus' death. And, the, and I believe all those are true. But I also knew that was a long swim. Pukes him up on the shores of Nineveh. Now Jonah has to... Witness to, he could have just witnessed to the people of Nineveh. Now he witnesses to the people of Nineveh smelling like uh, fish puke. And so he goes and he witnesses to the people of Nineveh, or tells them, he just says that God's going to destroy you. And then they repent. And then Jonah gets mad because they repent. Because Jonah's an upstanding, caring individual. So he gets mad because they repent. And here's the thing. God, Jesus is saying, that's the sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. So what was the, what was the message of Jonah? You're going to be destroyed, right? The message that God is trying to get to us, and this is what the tribulation is about, is God's judgment will destroy us. Now, God doesn't say, like at the beginning of Revelation, He doesn't say, if you will repent, all this stuff can't happen or doesn't happen. Now, I believe this, and I know this is like borderline heresy in the church for me to say this. Even though I don't think it's going to happen, I believe that it could because the sign of Jonah that Jesus is talking about is you're going to be destroyed. And I believe that that's the reason that God tells us the stuff, at least the beginning of the book of Revelation, is because it's giving us the chance to do the same thing that Nineveh did. Repent. Just repent. Just get on our... I'm saying as the world, the people across the planet... I'm not saying the church necessarily, but, but the church, I believe, will be the ones that hit their knees first in repentance. <clears throat> but I believe if the people of the planet will repent, I don't think it's going to happen, but I believe if the people of the planet would repent, the book of Revelation doesn't have to happen. Now, there's a, 
there's a circular reasoning that doesn't work there. I get that. But, but think about this. God says, I'm going to give you a sign. It's a sign of Jonah. Then Jesus left him and went away. Revelation 13, 11. And I saw another beast come out of the earth. I get asked this all the time, so I thought I'd read about it. All right? In fact, I'm going to jump down to verse 16 because I'm running out of time. Um, it talks about the beast. The beast has a fatal wound to his head, risen, second beast, build a statue to him, all this stuff. Okay, verse 16 of Revelation 13. And he, the beast that had, um, had mortal wound to his head, he required, required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. No one could buy or sell anything without that mark. Now, I'm getting asked a lot right now, do you think the vaccine is the mark of the beast? I don't think the vaccine is the mark of the beast because there's, there's something missing here, and that's the worship of the beast. Okay, um, But I do believe the way this is being designed right now is setting us up for this because you don't have the ability to buy anything. Plane tickets, food, go to restaurants. If you, I'm saying for the vaccine and the mark of the beast. You can't uh, keep your job. You have no idea how many letters we're writing around here for religious exemption. I don't mean like 15 or 20. I'm saying like 17,000-ish. We're writing a lot. Because there's a lot of people that, that are not going to get this vaccine and they're taking a stand and saying, I'm not going to do this. I don't think you've sinned if you got the vaccine, okay? Don't be confused. We talked about this Wednesday night. Some people are having to do it to keep their job, okay? But here's the thing. There's going to come a point, and this is what it's talking about, when you can't buy or sell anything without the mark of the beast, and that includes worshiping the beast. And guys, at that point, you, you better choose lose your job. You better choose not fly on an airplane. We, we were talking about this. My wife, this is the one my wife locked up on. We can't travel. We talked to my granddaughter every single day on the phone. And just this week, she said, Papa, you want to come to my house? And I said, I do. Right now, she said, you have to get on a big plane. I'm like, I hope I still can, honey. The vaccine, I had to explain the whole vaccine and the mandate and all that process. <laughs> and she's like, three. But I was like, you need to know this stuff because I don't know that your daddy's telling you. So, but, but here's the thing. That's where my wife's getting locked up. What if we can't travel? I'm like, you can go without food, you can go without a job, but you can't go without seeing your granddaughter. I get that. Guys, there's going to come a time, and I believe it's in our near future, when you are going to have to choose between these things. You're going to have to choose between eating. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. James and I have been working on a plan that is a long-term plan of what happens when the church begins to cave. Cave in. I don't mean cave, but cave in. We can't have church services. We, we can only meet at people's houses. Even that's restricted, all this other kind of stuff. And food and buying stuff is restricted. Um, I'm saying by the vaccine, not by the mark of the beast. And, uh, and, and we got a plan for all this. We're actually writing all this stuff out. It's already, it's already done. And we're adding in there how vaccinated people can help buy food for unvaccinated people. So thank some of you, thank you for getting the evil disease vaccine for the rest of us. So... <clears throat> Now look at this, no one can buy or sell, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing, the number, I'm sorry, the name of the beast or the number representing his name. We always talk about 666 being a barcode or any of this other kind of stuff. That's not what it says. It says it's, it's the beast's name. 
I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means, but that's what it says. Wisdom is needed here, he says. Let the one who understand with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, which means it can be solved. It's tricky, but it can be solved. For it is the of a man. And his versions say 616. Also, some just thought I'd throw that out there to mess you. Okay, then the next part of scripture says that you will that God's wrath will come upon anybody that takes the mark of the beast, to the point where the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, and they will have no relief day or night, for they worshiped, and that's the key, worshiping. It's not getting a mark in worshiping. Name. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently. We don't like persecution in the American church. It's, it's, it's all through the church and the rest of the world. They understand it as a given. We don't like it in American church. But guys, it is in the future of the church. Persecution. It is. Chapter 10, 12, verse 10. So what do we hear a loud voice shouting across the heavens? It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our for the accuser and authority of his Christ. Our brothers and sisters has been thrown to earth. The one who accuses them before God day and night. You are being accused before God day and night by Satan. But here's the key. Verse 11. Greatest, greatest scripture potentially in the Bible. Definitely in the book of Revelation. Verse 11. And they, the people that are being, being accused over. They have defeated, and by their testimony, Pentecost, and they didn't love their lives even to the point where they were afraid to die. When God blows the last trumpet and it's time, we're ready because our lives have been poured out and poured out. And Although this is specifically talked about and it is soon to be part of the American church story. I believe that. The blood of the Lamb, our testimony and we don't love our lives more than we're willing to give it to Christ. Why don't you stand with me? Everyone, we surrender ourselves to you. We will look at the condition of our soul, our heart. Lord, that we will, that we will reckon that we can be ourselves with you right now, Father. Jesus, you gave, Jesus, you gave your blood so we reconcile. We can be married to you. Spend eternity with you. Jesus, you gave your blood so I could be free. So, Lord, I want to I be reconciled. I ask you to forgive me. Wash me right now with the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, because I want to be on guard and I want to be alert, ready for you to come right now. Not tomorrow, not next week. I want to be ready right now for you to come, Jesus. Victor, Holy Spirit, we need to get this right. Right now, we need to get this right. Cover me with the blood. Wash me clean. In Jesus' name. Lord, if it's before the tribulation, the middle, at the end, Lord, I just look forward to you coming. In Jesus' name. God, and I pray. So let you fill us with power. My town, I want to be your, your witnesses. Oh, I want to help witnesses go across the planet. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit to be your witnesses. God, I pray that you give us, every one of us in this room, give us a chance to tell somebody about you this week. God, with the end, this week, coming back the next week. 
help us to tell somebody about you this week. In Jesus' name. Please, Lord, stir us to do this. Stir us to do this. Lord, to your coming. In Jesus' name. Right now, today, next week, next year, we're going to be looking forward to your coming. already been praying that um, that this would get that this would get not only in your head but it kind of just get under your skin a little bit this week whatever I think that happens this week I'll remind you but that it'll, in a good way yes. and so the closing statement is always before noon tomorrow God's going to give you a chance to let somebody know he will he's going to give you a chance this week to let somebody know that Jesus loves them do the best guarantee the best you can tell somebody's hand and God honor that you are that they are here even if you have to make it up and we will see you Wednesday night have a great rest of your day